Hey, 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 welcome to another Pastor Duke podcast coming to you from Rock Hill, South Carolina, my brand new studio. Glad to be with you again today. We continue my trilogy on our amazing Bible where I meant for only one message. Uh, It became three messages. First was the prophetic phenomena, which sets the scriptures apart from all other writings. We also looked at the translation and transmission of this most amazing book in the first lesson. Number two was the scientific superiority of Scripture, and today, the archaeology and historicity. Hey, that's a pretty big word for a hippie who killed a lot of brain cells in 1969. The historicity of the Bible all of which falls into the wonderful world of Christian apologetics, not uh, apologizing for the scripture, but I like to call it the reasons we believe. Our biblical faith is not religion. It is a revelation of our creator, of himself, to his created beings. To us, it's the Bible is God's treasure book to us. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19.1. We know a lot about who God is, uh, his eternal power and Godhead by what he has made, Romans 1.20 says. For the invisible things of him, God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse. We know God is by what he has made. We know what God thinks by what he has said. He wrote a book explaining himself and ourselves and our spiritual enemy, the battle from within, (laughs) inside of us, our flesh and our spirit, and the battle without with Satan and the world about us. Satan is the prince and power of the air, and the Bible explains how all of this is and where it came from and where it's going. He pre-wrote history. He gave us the end from the beginning, Isaiah said. He loves us. He wants us to know him and to love him. The revelation of God to us is his ultimate dream. He cares about us. We are the apple of his eye. He wants us to be confident in him. He gave us this most incredible book that I've chosen to read 176 times so far. I've been able to read through the Bible once a month now for about the past five years. Now I've semi-retired. I hate that word, retired, never retiring from the work of God, just from the wear and tear of the senior pastoral role. But I'm reading it through once a month. I'm at 176 readings and almost finished with that for the next time. Hope to continue that the rest of my life. This book, it never gets old. There's always something new. I believe it is infallible, the perfect and errant word of the living God. Today we go deeper into this divine book in a rational and objective manner. We look at the historicity of the Holy Bible. We see from Genesis 6, 7, and 8 a global and meteorological catastrophe called Noah's Flood. If that were literally and historically true, well, what would we expect to find in the geological and fossil records? I think we'd expect to find uh, layers of rock laid down by water filled with dead things, fossils, all over the earth. So what do we find when we take the time 
to look closely of what's out there. You know, rocks don't lie. What do we find? Layers of rock laid down by water all over the planet full of dead things, fossils. Atheistic evolutionists tell us that animals spiraled upward in complexity, which is defiance of all genetic laws that we know today. And they did so over a period of millions of years as they... <clears throat> environmentally adapted to changing global conditions. But reality says there are millions of former living creatures that did not adapt environmentally, but were catastrophically fossilized and today are extinct. The geological columns, the seven Teutonic plates, the mass extinction of millions of species, the vast fossilization and massive fossil fuel reserves all scream amen to the Genesis record, not to the mythology of evolution. So thank God every time you fill your car up with gas, <laughs> it's screaming evidence of the geological historicity of the Bible. Next chapter, Genesis 9, tells us of the dispersion of Noah's descendants to various parts of the planet, which specifically explains the various races we see in humankind among homo sapiens, if you please, today. Japheth, descendant of Noah, headed west and became the Caucasian people through genetic isolation. Shem, to the east, which became the Oriental people groups, and Ham, to the south, which became the Negroid people group. According to scripture, all one race. But pools of genetic isolation lended to the dominant genetic features we see in each people group today. Simple biblical explanation. Whereas the science at the time of the Scopes trial, 1929, saw the Negro races as a subspecies of human inferior to the other races. How shameful, how racist, how genetically ignorant, yet it was their foolish science. And once again, the scriptures proved true, and their science a total lie. That's going to be a theme that reappears in future days. Then we move up to Genesis 11 and see man's rebellion boiling over again in total disobedience to God, refusing to spread out and inhabit the earth. God again sent judgment, I'd say more or less a soft judgment in that no one died, whereas God confounded the one at the time human language into over 7,000 different languages and dialects which forced the dispersion of the people into various regions of the planet. You know, study anthropology. There is no explanation for the sudden appearances of 7,000 languages on the planet. There utterly is no explanation. But we who cheat and read the Word of God, we know the answer to that. Genesis Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, uh, which we would call the Tower of Babel uh, in architectural language, a zuggerit today. They were uh, building at the time in Babel, Babylon. They were building what they said to be a tower into the heavens. We don't need God to get into heaven. We'll defy him and do it our way. Well, we're studying the historicity of the Bible. So, if we fly to modern-day Iraq, 
we can drive down to ancient Babylon and uh, tour the very ruins of this ancient monolith. It still stands today in ruin, but in screaming historic evidence to the historicity of the Holy Bible. The ancient mythological writings from both the Eastern and Western worlds were filled with just that, mythology. Nothing of real history, nothing of true archaeological evidences. Now, we jump up uh, one more chapter to Genesis chapter 12. We have the call of Abraham and Sarah from Ur of the Chaldees again in modern Iraq. Uh, He would become the Jewish patriarch. He would father a nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. God would make a covenant with him. The word covenant means promise. It was an unconditional covenant. It was fivefold. Number one, God said to Abraham, I'll make of you a great and mighty nation. He was the father of the Jewish people. Number two, I'll give you your own land, the land of Israel today. They were in it. They were apart for almost 2,000 years, and they came home in 1948, uh, fulfilling many biblical prophecies. Number three, I'll bless those who bless you. Number four, I'll curse those who curse you. Number five, (laughs) this is a big one. This is for all of us here. From your seed will come the Messiah, the Savior, not just the Savior of the Jews, the Savior of all the world. We have a Messianic nation born, and all of the rest of the Bible is the story of this family of the coming of their Messiah and his second advent where he returns to set up his kingdom and rightfully and righteously rule the world uh, in peace and prosperity. Oh, that prayer some of us have prayed a thousand times. Thy kingdom come. It's for real, folks. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That kingdom is coming. So we can drive over to Ur of the Chaldees today and explore the archaeological digs. And there, guess what we find? Written documents about Abraham, who was a city elder. He was wealthy. He was married to Sarah, all exactly as the Holy Bible said. Now, I don't need archaeology to believe the Bible, but I love that it always confirms what I do believe. That which is divine from God has no fear of rational inquiry. So I confess to you, I do love biblical archaeology, and we're just getting started on that here today. We can drive south from there through Syria into the very land God promised to Abraham in northern Israel today to tell Dan. And to tell is a, a hill that's been in ruins and they're overcovered and they build again and again. They're called tells. These hills, they dig them out and find all kinds of cool stuff. We can go to the Tell Dan and see today the very gate called Ziev Margalit that Abraham traveled through on his pilgrimage from Ur of the Chaldees down into what is uh, modern-day Israel today. There, they uncovered the preserved writings of the records of pilgrims who came through this gate. And, of course, they were exacting tolls from them. Uh, And guess whose name appears 
on the list. You got it. Abraham paid the toll and entered the land promised to him by the God of the Bible. So we are only 12 chapters into the 1139 chapters of the Bible. And you see, it ain't no fairy tale book. It is both a science and history book, verifying both science and archaeology. I could do a thousand podcasts on biblical archaeology and still not but touch the hem of that holy garment. My purpose here is to give some basic, glaring realities that prove the divinity, the historicity of the Bible, and strengthen the faith of all of us who turn to Scripture for answers to life's greatest questions and to strengthen us in time of need. I've been so blessed to have been able to go to the Holy Land four times and hopefully go again. Uh, and one amazing trip to Egypt on one of those adventures along the way. I've been blessed to travel through Abraham's Gate that I just told you about. I've been to Jacob's Well. I've been to the Valley of Elah where David slew Goliath. I've gone down into that stream where David got those five round smooth stones. I've been down in that creek bed. I've been to Mount Carmel where Elijah defied and destroyed the 400 prophets of Baal. I've wept over Jerusalem from the top of the Mount of Olives, as Jesus did. I floated on the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus walked on the water. I've seen the cliffs of Gadara, where swine ran down violently and drowned in the sea, as Jesus had cast out the demons from the wild man of Gadara. I bowed and prayed under the same ancient olive trees that Jesus prayed under in Gethsemane. Friends, this Ain't no Aesop's fables. This is the very story of God unfolding on planet Earth in real time, in real places, with real people. There are fabulous archaeological finds, especially this past 75 years with more sophisticated archaeological tools available. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found on the northwest edge of the Dead Sea. Quite simply... They prove that what we are reading in our Bibles today is a perfect match to the Old Testament text dating back to the first century when a sect of Jews called the Essenes, sometimes pronounced the Essenes, lived a monastic lifestyle in the wilderness and copied and preserved these manuscripts in large tight pots hidden in the caves of Qumran. I've been blessed to go and explore these very caves. There just ain't no book like the good book, inspired and preserved. Satellite imagery has confirmed this past 30 years the site of Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat, as the scriptures say, in modern-day Turkey. U.S. astronaut James Irwin, who was one of the few uh, moonwalkers, made many pilgrimages to find Noah's Ark, and I'm glad to tell you it's been found. Half frozen in glacial ice, broken into two large sections, one higher and one had slid partway down the mountain as it had been broken in half. 
Pieces of the ark were retrieved and proven to be gopher wood, as the scripture said, now extinct and never to have known to have grown anywhere within or closer than 500 miles from the site. It was found on Mount Ararat, the landing place of the ark. You see, there's just no coinkydinkies with God. More recently, there has been the fabulous finding of Israel's travels from Egypt in the Exodus through the Sinai, the Red Sea crossing site, the actual Mount Sinai where God's uh, fire came down and blackened the whole top half of the mountain. You can see it. The site has been found where Moses smote the rock and it split. And from that split rock, flowed out water enough to supply the nation of Israel in the wilderness. I'm going to direct you to YouTube videos where you can see with your own eyes the fantastic preserved in stone and on stone the biblical stories of these real places and real people. They will show you the Egyptian chariot wheels in the bottom of the Red Sea as uh, Pharaoh had sent in his armies to recapture the Jews that had uh, made the exodus and forced them back into Egyptian slavery, they were all drowned in the Red Sea. Recently, divers uh, have been able to go into that site and videotape the crossing site underwater and see the artifacts uh, of the Egyptian army laying there, uh, wheels of the chariots uh, preserved in the bottom of the Red Sea for your eyes to see. That stuff is all out there, and God in his providence is allowing it to be documented in these latter days. It's all at our fingertips in this digital world that we live in. I mean, God can use technology too, not just the devil. Even Google will take you there if you ask. I beg you to go online to holy land site and click on the exodus red sea crossing and mount sinai uh, there uh, will be uh, waiting for you exciting spiritual feast of biblical archaeology you can see all this stuff with your own eyes separate videos will show moses's exodus route uh, from uh, egypt uh, to the red sea uh, the Red Sea Crossing Beach, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, the videography, as I mentioned, uh, of this uh, underwater, uh, of the site where the Egyptian army uh, was drowned, it's all there waiting for you. When I'm watching these videos, which I've watched over and over again, I like to stop them and just picture myself being there. And, and, and then I, I turn on the video and I see some of what they saw. It's absolutely amazing. I'm glad I live in this time with technology where um, we don't just read this book and say, well, you know, there's a lot of ways to interpret the Bible. How about reading it literally? How about reading it historically? And then taking the time, being disciplined student of the Word of God and checking these things out. It will strengthen your faith as it has mine. These things actually happened. It'll blow your mind to see that underwater uh, topography, see those chariot wheels uh, preserved for the Egyptian uh, what do you call those things? Chariots. <laughs> oh, you just had uh, my brain go uh, dead on me there. It happens more and more as the days go forward. But it's all out there waiting for you, folks. Check out those beaches. 
where two million people camped for those few days waiting for the Egyptian army to come, waiting for God to do the miracle. It'll blow your minds. And so I hope these resources will be a blessing to you um, and get at it, go for it. And uh, I know you're going to be thrilled. And when you do, uh, communicate with me. Uh, go to uh, pastorduke at gmail.com. Uh, send me an email message, what you think about it, because I want you to be thrilled. I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be encouraged. So I'm going to shift back for uh, a moment to the historicity parts of, of this podcast that are also key. Now, the archaeology totally thrills my heart, if you can't tell. But uh, back to the historicity for a few minutes in closing. I don't find this quite as exciting as the archaeology, but it is of huge uh, importance. Take another look at those boring Hebrew genealogies in the Bible, so-and-so begat so-and-so. They may be boring, and those Hebrew words may be hard for us to pronounce, but they literally tie together in a historic way the whole Jewish story, which is the story of the world in one sense. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the fall of Jerusalem, 586 B.C., uh, uh, fall to Babylon, and 14 generations from the fall of Jerusalem to Messiah the Prince. Probably no quinky-dinky here either. We can go to Daniel's prophecy, chapter 9, and we call and we see the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy. He prophesied many years before that a king, a Persian king, would decree to allow the Jews to return home and fund to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And that was really fabulous news for the Jews who were in exile. But then Daniel got very specific with his timeline. He said, put 70 weeks on your Jewish calendar. Now there's seven days a week. And the actual Hebrew word here for weeks is the word sevens. Put 70 sevens, 490 uh, on your clock. And I don't believe he was talking about 490 days, but 490 years. Let every day represent a year. He told them to specifically start your Jewish clock when the decree to rebuild is signed to rebuild. We read about that in Nehemiah chapter 1, 445 B.C. And it will be 69 weeks, 483 years, till Messiah the Prince is cut off or crucified. The Jewish clock stops when Christ is crucified with one week left to go on the Jewish clock. And my friends, that all happened. Christ was crucified 483 years from the signing of that decree. I mean, it, it's the word of God. He's talking to us, man. Listen to him. Well, when Israel's clock stopped with the crucifixion of Jesus, we read about that in Romans chapter 11, Christ's church, uh, its clock started. And I'm telling you, the church's clock is about to run out. Christ comes for his church. We call that the rapture, which is time out for the church and time back in for Israel's final week. Seven years left on the Jewish clock. We call that in eschatology, the study of future events, the tribulation. It's also called the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It's a time of Israel's trouble, not the church's, because the church isn't here. It's been raptured out. 
You see, folks, the world is not falling apart, which it sort of feels like. It's all coming together as the prophets promised. Israel had to come home for these things to happen. They did, 1948. Jerusalem must be retaken. It was, 1967. You see here in closing, history is about to collide with prophecy. It all comes together. The prophecy of Scripture and the historicity of Scripture will soon emerge. It'll soon culminate for Christ followers, the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ, receive the things done in our body, whether they be good or evil, reward or loss of reward. Everybody at the judgment seat of Christ are Christians. They're all true believers. Time of our reward, hopefully. For we have the rapture, the judgment seat of Christ, and the wedding feast of the Lamb, baby, the mother of all parties. That's for us. And then at the end of that seven-year tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, Jesus returns uh, to save Israel. He brings his church with him to set up his kingdom. For those who reject Christ, they face the tribulation. They, they face the Antichrist, the totalitarian government, the mark of the beast, the cashless society. Nothing is by chance. God isn't finished with Israel yet. It's all coming together. It was all recorded in that fabulous, timeless, infallible book, our sacred scriptures, the Holy Bible. Prophetically precise, 100% accuracy. Historically accurate. Scientifically accurate. And millenniums ahead of human scientific discovery. <laughs> I think my grandkids are right. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. I don't think we really are standing alone, are we? We're standing together on the Word of God. But by His grace, if we have to stand alone, let's do it. Well, I pray this podcast trilogy on the fabulous Bible has strengthened, encouraged, and challenged you. Ain't it great to be on the winning team? The world has questions. Thank God we have answers. Jesus loves you. So do I. Thanks for tuning me in. My uh, podcast listenership continues to grow. That's because you're so awesome. So thank you for sharing with your friends. And I pray you can use these, especially these last three podcasts, to help encourage weaker believers to be stronger. So, hey, I love you. Uh, thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>